tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We go deep, homeboy. Right. There we go. Joining me on the ones and twos with his very cool red headphones. Look at those. Where'd you get that? What 1980s breakdancing movie did you grab those from? The man, the myth, the legend, Xavier Guerrero. What's up? What's up? I'm loving the new red, though. Dude, it's looking really good. Please check out Xavier's new podcast, We Don't Smoke the Same. It's a political show where they do drugs and discuss politics, conspiracies, or strippers. We don't know. It's a wide range. It is talking about stories you want to hear about. And on the ones and twos from his skyline penthouse <laughs> office in Seoul, Korea, the man, the guy to know him is to love him. His hats are some of the greatest in the podcasting game. And he just loves to remember his first job at In-N-Out. That's why he still uses the In-N-Out microphone for the fucking <laughs> drive through The man, Johnny Woodard, how are you, Johnny? It's the longest intro I've ever heard in my life. That's, I'm trying to make your really intros long. longer. A lot also, of you have me and XG both on the ones and twos today. I'm not sure uh, what that was about. Well, How's it going, Well, Sam? technically, you are both on your computer, so you are both on the ones and twos. I'm good, buddy. Uh, just living that life. Johnny's getting excited to go back to North Carolina and hang out with Duncan Trussell and smoke DMT. Thanksgiving. And work the farm. Eat some food. Some real Johnny, when you work the farm, do you do shirt on, shirt off? Well, it's the middle of November, so I'm, it's going to be cold, 30 degrees, probably shirt on this time. So, uh, sh- are you sure? Because I think you're like a Paul Bunyan type. <laughs> Doesn't matter how cold it is. You got shirt off, nipples rocking hard, chopping wood. Speaking of wood, guys, uh, if you want to see me chop some wood, I'm going to be in St. Louis December 3rd, <laughs> 3rd to the 5th. Check that out. Guys, a lot of you guys want to see the videos from our episodes. For right now, they are going to be located on brokensimulation.com. That's where they're going to be located. So you can go there, check them out until YouTube takes away all of our strikes, which should be early July. So that, you know. July? Yeah. I mean, early January. God dang it. Early January. Early January. Please check it out. Just go. Check it out. Check it out, yo. Check it out. And check out all the new t-shirts at tinfoilhattshirts.com. That's tinfoilhattshirts.com. Uh, a lot of amazing things going on. The paywalls. Go check out the uh, uh, Patreon. Check out our Patreon. Check out my Rockfin. The links are all below. Check them out. Support the show. Support me. Support you. Support Johnny. Support XG. Just Love us because we love you, and I hope you enjoy the show because we have a wonderful, wonderful conversation today on Bigfoot. Enjoy. All right, let's get into it. Today's a fun episode. We've had some crazy episodes this week, so this fits right in with it. I'm super excited to talk about it. We've had, what do we talk about? Kota, 
uh, Counter uh, Intelligence Pro. We've had uh, Hotep Jesus on, D, uh, DB uh, Cooper. So why not finish it out with the man, the myth, the legend himself? And I should not be assuming genders, but Bigfoot. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we have a couple of returning champions here. We have a brand new friend joining us. Um, he is uh, the host of the Confessional Podcast. Please welcome back to the show, returning champion, Tony Merkel. How are you, Tony? Doing well. Thanks for the invite. Oh, glad you're here. I love your new studio. It looks great, buddy. It looks Thank You look like you're on something like Star Wars, some position <laughs> in Star Wars, like you're trying to get more power to the turbo boosters. Uh, and he was, he, he's been on here before to talk uh, Bigfoot, and we're super, super excited he's back. Please welcome Dr. Jeff Meldrum. How are you, Jeff? I'm great. Thanks. And we got a brand new guy joining us. Uh-oh, we got a rookie, everybody. Uh, he's got a new movie coming out called Sasquatch Among Men, right? Am I correct on that? Please welcome, please welcome Darce Weir, everybody. Did I get that right or did I, did I christen you with the butchering? butchering you, got, your name? you christened me with the butchering, I guess. Okay, how do you pronounce the whole thing? <laughs> No, no, you're good. You're good. You got it. Thank you, you brother. You Thank it, brother. you for being not judging me. I appreciate that. No I flung first grade, so I'm really slow. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. Tell us a little bit about your uh, movie, dude. I'm super excited to hear about it. Sure. So the, the movie title is Sasquatch Among Wild Men. And um, basically, I, I started making a documentary in 2015, a different documentary called the unwanted Sasquatch. And it was pretty much a matter of fact um, way of explaining the whole Bigfoot and Sasquatch history in North America. And I, in, I actually interviewed Dr. Meldrum for that documentary back in 2016. And when I was out there, um, he had this pamphlet sitting on his desk and it was basically um, a whole description on all of the wild men sightings from around the world. So what is a wild man? A wild man can be described as a relic hominid. Um, and men, us, we're homo sapiens. We're kind of the top of the totem pole in terms of wild men. We are a hominid, um, so to speak. And basically his pamphlet talked about Sasquatch, uh, the Yaren, which is a Chinese sort of Sasquatch in China. They call it the Yaren, which directly translates to uh, wild man. And in their history and their lore, um, they have documented evidence of this thing existing in their forests. Uh, and in our documentary, Sasquatch Among Wild Men, we compare all of the wild men sightings from around the world to Bigfoots, to Sasquatch. And um, we talk about the different attributes of those sightings and the cultures they come from. So, Doctor, how do you feel about that? You're kind of like Ozzy Osbourne. You've been corrupting the youth. What do you think about that? <laughs> no, I think it's a, it's a great uh, uh, topic and a great treatment of the topic. Um, as he points out, you know, I'm, I'm frequently asked, uh, is there a relationship or is the Sasquatch and the Yeti the same, one and the same? Are these creatures really seen all around the world? And there are different iterations. There are different forms of wild men. And no, they're not equivalent. The Yeren is uh, a representative of, of um, 
I believe, of Sasquatch in Asia. Um, it's almost a certainty that if Sasquatch exists, it originated in Asia, as did so many other mammals that are now considered to be native to North America. They came here across the connection between those continents that uh, rose and fell periodically. And so we have reports of Sasquatch-like creatures scattered all through um, the mountainous forests, you know, equivalent habitats in Asia. But in addition to that, we have something very distinctive in the Himalayas. The, the scant fossil record of that creature suggests that it has a big toe, much more like a thumb, as you would find, say, in a chimp or a gorilla. So it's a more primitive ape species. There's reports of wild men in uh, parts of Russia that were once inhabited millennia ago by Neanderthals. And by all accounts, these descriptions differ from those of a giant Sasquatch and instead resemble a man-sized, wild, hairy, human-like creature, which may in fact be a relic Neanderthal. And then in Southeast Asia, you have the little people, the Orang Pendek, the Endutu, the Ibugogo. There are different names with every, every tribe, but they all seem to describe this little three-and-a-half-foot diminutive hominin that may be a relic uh, Australopithecine or very early, say, Homo habilis. Um, or, and, and it may have uh, connections to uh, the recent discovery and descriptions of the uh, hobbit, the well-known hobbit, Homo floris found in Indonesia recently that was dated to a remarkably young age of only a few tens of thousands of years. So wow. Tony, yeah. do you got any thoughts on this? This is kind of in your wheelhouse. Yeah, I mean, uh, my simplistic mind, I always just assumed that, you know, these reportings of, you know, Yeti and all that stuff was just a, uh, you know, another way of saying Bigfoot that we have here in this country. Um, it, do you think it could be something like where human beings, you know, there's the Asians, there's Africans, things like that. Do you think it could be something like that where Bigfoot has its own, I don't want to say nationalities, but you know what I'm saying? Right. I do. Yeah. It could be a regional variation of the population. And yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I'm sure that there are potentially some uh, distinctions between um, Asian Sasquatch and and uh, North American Sasquatch. I mean, just as there probably are some distinctions in in subtleties of anatomy behavior of Asian bear, black bear versus North American black bear, American black bear. Um, but these others are, are quite distinctive. And what's so fascinating is the the persistence of the folklore, the stories and the tales and and the contemporary modern encounters and descriptions have now found parallel in the remarkable bushy family tree that's becoming evident from the burgeoning fossil record with almost, you know, perennial discoveries of new species of hominins in the past. Um, now these dots that were kind of out there in the ether and thought to be just some mysterious, uh, you know, phenomenon, now all of a sudden they line up with branches on this family tree. And you know, we're, we're in a position where we should expect to find relic hominoids now um, in, in light of the uh, increasing diversity. And as was exemplified by Homo floresiensis, the hobbit, the very recent persistence of many of these lineages on that family tree. I mean, just tens of thousands. We've got Neanderthal sites that are between 10 and 20,000 years old. We've got 
Homo heidelbergensis, the antecessor of uh, the, the common ancestor of humans and Neanderthals that are as young as 12 to 20,000 years, fossils found. We've got the, the Hobbit, we've got Homo erectus on Java as recent as 25,000 years ago. I mean, that's just a snap of the fingers. And, you know, if you stepped into a time machine, went back in time, uh, 30,000 years, you definitely would step out and possibly, as you wandered across the landscape, bump into any one of a half a dozen different species of hominin. So why would today be the exception to that rule that has persisted for, you know, five million years on the planet? Why would we assume that we're the last, as, as one book title suggested, the last man standing, the last hominin standing, you know, when there's evidence uh, to suggest that we're not alone. Yeah, and I mean, like some of those uh, occurrences where people bumped into Bigfoot or a Sasquatch type being uh, around the world, they would have happened throughout history and have been documented and passed down through oral traditions. So you have like the native Canadian indigenous people or the native American indigenous people. And they've been talking about in certain tribes, uh, the Sasquatch or what they would call it like Skookum or, you know, some other indigenous name for it. So are we going to throw out all of these accounts throughout history here on North America and then in China and Russia of their wild man sightings? No. We're going to like say, okay, people have been seeing this for a long time. So, and, and even on the, on the theme of wild man, when you, you know, all, uh, as, as Darcy points out, it's ubiquitous in, in, um, in many different, you know, ethnic uh, traditions and folklore and been built up around this, this theme, but even in quote, civilized Western society and, and others, we go, we can go back East and find it as well. Uh, but our earliest literary traditions, for example, um, the, the Gilgamesh epic, the, the oldest story in Western civilization, what is the theme? It's the hero on the one hand and the wild man described down to the T on the other. And first they're in competition, then they become uh, fast friends and go on all these adventures together. And But but this was a creature covered with hair that knew nothing of civilization that, that cavorted with the gazelle and the wild things, you know, and drank from the spring. And, and I mean, it's, it's interesting that, that that character plays such a prominent role in our own historical traditions as a, as a Western society. That sound, you just sound like you described the plot of Encino man with Polly Shore. Um, <laughs> just yeah. There's a modern iteration of it. Yeah. Area in the Hendersons. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Boom. So why, what do you think we'll ever get a concrete proof that, boom, we got a Bigfoot, bam, we got a Yeti, bang, we got one of these where, for everybody to see. Why has it been so elusive? You want to take that, Darcy? You want me to jump in? I'll give you my perspective, sure, and then you can give you give yours. Um, I feel like we have. You know, if you look at the Patterson-Gimlin film or you look at uh, findings of relic hominids in our fossil record, you're basically, you're, that's it. You know, the fossil is proving that this thing once existed, okay? We've got the remains, and then we've got 
many eyewitness accounts from across the world, really, of these things to exist. Even today, you know, every year there's Sasquatch or Bigfoot reports across North America. That's it. You've got it. If there are so many reports, there's, you know, the BFRO that has thousands of members across the United States. BFRO, what is that? Bigfoot. Bigfoot Field Research Organization. And, you know, you can search BFRO and then the state you live in. You're in California. This, this is like the hotspot state in the U.S., right? Um, thousands and hundreds of reports that have been documented and probably tons of undocumented stuff that people still are saying, you know, being quiet about. My whole sort of thought in regards to why, why it might not be fully disclosed that these things do exist by mainstream science, it could be an industry thing. Um, and I'll, I'll liken it to the sort of conspiracy behind the Tasmanian tiger in Australia. Okay. This is the Tasmanian. Uh, it's the thylacine, which we know existed. There's zoo videos and photos of it from the 1950s. The last one they had in captivity. It's a marsupial like dog, you know, that's that feeds on rats and all kinds of other prey in the forest Tasmania, even today, residents there, police officers, all kinds of people around the island say, this thing exists. It's still showing up. It's crossing the highway at night. It's in my headlights. That wasn't a fox. I've seen, you know, people have taken videos of it and shared it online. People have taken photos. Yes, they're kind of blurry, kind of like the stuff we get with Bigfoot or Sasquatch. But when you're looking at an animal that's usually running away from you, and keeping its distance because it's scared of you, um, most of the time you're not going to get your subject in full focus. The lens on your camera on your phone is shit. It's not a DSLR, right? You're not going to get a full zoomed-in perspective of this thing most of the time. So (laughs) it's poop. Uh, I mean, I'm just saying that there's credible reasons for why we're not getting really, really good photos and really, really good video. Even today, the best footage ever documented was the Patterson Gimlin film. It appeared to be a female, uh, in the species. And, you know, um, I feel like maybe the logging industry, the forest, the, uh, industry in the United States and parts of the world like Tasmania, For example, people say the government doesn't want the Tasmanian tiger to be declared existent because if they do do that, they'll have to shut down lumber logging and the whole pulp and paper industry in Tasmania, which is like the whole economy there on the island. So possibly that's part of it. Um, Why it's not coming forward in the United States and Canada, I can't prove that. But I feel like that's also a very large industry um, that our economies depend on. The province that I'm from, British Columbia, has a huge pulp and paper industry. uh, And their national forests are where, even today, we get some of the largest reports of Sasquatch sightings. So, I don't know. 
All right, everybody, I want to talk to you about our good friends at Blue Chew. That's right, guys. That is right. Everybody's on lockdown. So what does that mean? More time at home. And that means more time for boom, boom, knocking bottoms out of it. And some of you guys need to get a little harder. You're hard, but you're not hard enough. And that's where our friends at Blue Chew come in, dude. Every guy on this show loves Blue Chew. Cock down during the lockdown. That's it. Cock down during the lockdown. Thanks to Blue Chew, okay? Uh, Blue Chew brings the same... The, brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, okay? Anytime, anywhere, any place. all right? That's how it went. Blue Chew's kind of like the Gracie's brothers at the beginning of the UFC. <laughs> They'll fight you anywhere, anytime, on your back or uh, or the you on your back. Doesn't matter. It's time to rock and roll. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. So you're ready whenever you, the opportunity arrives, okay? Blue Chew's made in the U.S. It's prescribed. Prescribed online by a licensed physician, so you don't have to go to the doctor or wait line. And, and it's cheaper than a pharmacy. They prepare it and ship it right to you in a discreet package. I let everybody know, okay, I'm on, I'm on a uh, – my block is all Jewish people, and I'm Armenian, so I got to show them who means boss. And they just sit down, and they've, a couple of them fiddled on the roof, and they were just celebrating the fucking crush fest that was going on thanks to my good friends at Blue Chew. Okay, right now, Blue Chew's got a very special deal for our listeners, The Swarm, both men and the ladies, okay? If I can buy Plan B, ladies, you can buy (laughs) Blue Chew, okay? So go to bluechew.com, get the first shipment free when you use our special promo, Tin Foil. That's right, Tin Foil. That's it. Real quick, go to Blue Chew, like the color, bluechew.com, and use the promo code tinfoil blue chew is better cheaper and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast okay and remember when you support our sponsors you help make this podcast possible so please be sure to use the promo code tinfoil at bluechew.com there there are um, uh, similar types of examples in north america that uh, that sort of parallel that on on a level for example here in idaho for the longest time there were no wolves and then we had a big you know all all reported sightings of wolves were were discounted or discredited as misidentified coyotes or or feral dogs and and uh, then they had the big uh, move to reintroduce wolves into Idaho and it was there was a lot of contention etc cetera, etc cetera, and it was challenged in court eventually the judge said hey this was done improperly it needs these wolves need to be removed and then it was acknowledged well hmm that's going to be challenging to separate the reintroduced wolves from the native wolves. They knew they were there all along, but they didn't want to have the responsibility of managing a very rare and elusive um, species. For the longest time, uh, cougars, puma in uh, eastern United States were were, uh, discredited, were discounted. Legally, they have to be protected, yeah. Right, exactly. So it takes a budget, it takes manpower and personnel, which if if it isn't mandated, then draws away from existing resources. So there's that kind of uh, management uh, and uh, budgetary consideration that crops up. Honestly, most of my encounters regarding Sasquatch, the topic of Sasquatch, it has been a matter of individuals who, um, who one, they don't want their their own reputation to be called into question for acknowledging the existence of a you know a, a, such a, a malarkey or two they're extremely sensitive about the appearance of federal dollars being spent on what they consider just a wild goose chase 
And so it's, it's usually at that level. I've not had experience with any situation where there was an institutional suppression of, of information. Um, you know, I'm not saying that I know for certain that that's the case, but, but as a biologist, it's much more satisfying also to, to acknowledge the other side of the coin, the, the biological and ecological and you know, population side of the coin that these are very rare, intelligent, elusive creatures. And just the numbers game alone is, is sufficient in my mind to explain why we don't have a body yet. I mean, these creatures are very rare in the environment, I'm convinced, on the basis of sightings, frequency of sightings, patterns of sightings, um, the documentation of footprints where we can actually recognize individuals. And so we have kind of a sense about how many individuals are in a given geographical region based on recognizable footprints. And it suggests that they're extremely uh, uh, sparse, uh, widely dispersed. Now, just, just as an example, and I won't go through all the machinations of how I put together clues and inferences and brackets of, of extent ape behavior, but in, in my home state of Idaho, I come up with a number, so in the range of 150 to 300 Sasquatch, based on social structure and sightings and footprints and, and the habitat that's available. Um, by comparison, there's 35,000 black bear in Idaho. So 300, 35,000. I mean, the, the difference, and then, then think about how often you bump into a, a bear or, or find a bear carcass that has died a natural death, hasn't been shot by a hunter or hit by a car. And then it starts to make a little more sense why it's, it, we haven't gotten that substantive uh, uh, physical evidence. It's you not know, but it's not damning by any means. Where I live, the only bears are in West Hollywood. But <laughs> so, um, A lot um, more cougars than bear, right? <laughs> West Hollywood, I, I don't know, bro. The bears run wild over there. And, nice. Uh, but, but what do you think – what do you think makes this animal or this being? Because there's also theories, and I don't know if Tony, you have any thoughts on this. Of it might be interdimensional. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of four one one thoughts that Bigfoot could be involved in the missing four one one. What would make this animal so elusive? Obviously, smaller numbers, three hundred, but. I'm, I'm, did I just commit a, a Bigfoot cardinal crime? Uh, sin by saying, uh, interdimensional? No, there's there's quite a camp. I mean, there's a there's a, a faction of enthusiasts who resort to supernatural or paranormal explanations to account for those types of things. And uh, you know, again, as a scientist, I'm beholden to what's called the principle of parsimony. Now, parsimony, I'm the first to get on my little soapbox and, and decry the abuse of parsimony. Parsimony or Occam's razor has been misapplied, misstated as suggesting uh, as the justification for the statement, the simplest explanation is most likely the correct one. That's not what it, what it, it said. That's not what Occam had in mind. He was a philosopher of science and, and science proceeds by trying to knock the feet out from under a hypothesis. It's easier to demonstrate one exception than it is to prove all possible cases. And so the, the logical orderly way in which you proceed along that method 
is to start with the simplest explanation. And that's what he meant. He said, unless you can falsify the simplest explanation, you're not justified in jumping to a more extraordinary. And as a biologist, I can account for, in a satisfactory fashion, all of these uh, objections, like, you know, where's the body? Why, why don't we have more encounters? You know, why, why not this? Why not that? All the negative lack of evidence. Um, I can account for that it, within a biological context. And that doesn't negate, in my mind, all of the positive evidence that we have, the footprints, the hair samples, the sightings, and so forth. Now, that doesn't mean that those other explanations aren't possible, but you can't, I mean, unless you've got evidence and just a missing person, you know, David, uh, David's very careful about not overtly stating or attributing those missing persons to Sasquatch. And he speaks just as often at MUFON conventions because he leaves that door wide open too. I mean, it's uh, greases the wheel on both sides of the MUFON? What is MUFON, doctor? Oh, um, uh, UFOs. Oh, mutual yeah. mutual UFO, UFO network. network. Yeah, there's so yeah. many subcultures. Huh? It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a big world, right? I love it. I think it's much more interesting than watching CNN. I'll right. tell you that right now. <laughs> hey, quick, quick question. Yeah, more, more, much more believable than watching right. CNN. Yeah. Quick question. Quick question. Would you guys consider the chupacabra the, under the same category? Something that they don't want to think? It's a myth. It doesn't exist. Well, I, I've had limited, personally, limited experience with the chupacabra. And uh, at one time, I had a, a production company, and they, they said they had footprints, footprint casts of the chupacabra, and they wanted me to evaluate these. And so, you know, anticipating what I thought was going to be the case, I spread out on my bench top. I had uh, a bunch of canids and felids. And so we had, uh, you know, we had a domestic dog. We had a coyote, we had a wolf, we had a bobcat and a cougar. And then it was just great because they were lined up here kind of in a series of a variation on that, that similar, you know, four-toed digit grade theme. And I took their cast and I, you know, as soon as I saw it, it was obvious, but, but just, uh, it was like I had a Geiger counter. And as I, as I went past each of the cast, you know, I was going ding, 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 ding. And it was a perfect match for my particular example of a, of a large dog. I was like, you know, I don't know, some, some mongrel breed of big dog. There was no question. This was just simply a domestic dog. And so they didn't appreciate the sound effect, but I think they edited yeah, I mean, that's got to suck. Like five minutes into their show, it's already over. They're like, right. oh, we're gonna kill. God, we got to kill another 25 yeah, minutes right. of this. So, anyway, yeah. I, but like I said, I just, I don't know enough about the Chupacabra. I mean, there, someone once sent me um, the facial skeleton of a road-killed Chupacabra, he thought. And it was down in Florida, I think it was. And he had pictures. And it was a big, it was a big chow. You know, this big woolly you know with this uh, butterscotch colored hair but the poor thing had you know terrible road rash and was partly decomposed mm-hmm. and he had harvested some of the facial skeleton and sent it to me and i mean it just confirmed you know that the dentition is the dentition it's pretty hard evidence that it was a dog it was a domestic dog there was no question about it so i think there's some there's uh, there, there's always misidentification uh, as a pitfall not only with Chupacabra, but with Sasquatch. I deal with that all the time. 
Lots yeah, of and skin diseases can do uh, horribly disfiguring things to dogs. Yeah, I mean, mange especially. Yep, and to bears as well. So mm. there've been some strange-looking photos of uh, or photos of strange-looking bear that people say, "Oh, that can't be a bear. It doesn't look like any bear I've ever seen." And then you, you know, do a quick Google search online, and here's multiple pictures of of bears with mange, and they're like you said, they're hardly recognizable as bear. So interesting, dude. Tony, now on your podcast, have you talked to people who've said they've made contact with, you know, with uh, Bigfoots and anyone in the Bigfoot family? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've we've had plenty of people on, and with my show, I I host conversation, and so kind of like what you do. So I've had people on the show that have had um, sightings where you know I just had a guy he was in Washington State and talking about several different experiences that kind of been happening throughout his family. Uh, and, uh, he recalled a time uh, he wasn't there. It was his dad who, uh, was camping with a friend and, uh, something was messing around inside their camp at night. And he thought it was, his dad thought it was his buddy and he was telling him to knock it off or something like that. And once his friend said, that's not me, shoot it. That's when his dad shot, whatever was outside the tent. Uh, they didn't get any, um, I guess any evidence. So it was just something that was passed on to him from his dad. Uh, but there's been like several different areas that they go out to and stuff that has activity. Uh, I've had people on the show that do talk about more of the paranormal side of stuff when it comes to Bigfoot. Uh, it's interesting conversation. Uh, when, with what, with what I do on my show, uh, we talk about everything. I mean, aliens, UFOs, things like that. So we go down that path of um, people see, saying that they see Bigfoot, and right around that time, they see UFOs. I'm sure Dr. Meldrum and, and Darcy have seen, heard stories like that as well. Um, and it, it's just, uh, it's one of those things where I think we're dealing with very separate categories of mysterious phenomenons. And sometimes people have, maybe they, they're having these experiences all at the same time. Uh, maybe uh, it sometimes it's passed on from generations of parents and stuff. And it kind of like, um, uh, what's his name? I, I always forget his name. He's in my own state. I'm in Pennsylvania. Um, the guy, he, ah, it's going to drive me crazy. Um, there's a guy here in Pennsylvania who's wrote, written a bunch of books and uh, he's been around for 40, 50 years. Uh, I, I know you guys know who I'm talking about. I just can't remember. Tom Powell or? No, not Tom Powell. He's, he's an older guy. Um, he started a Bigfoot hotline back in the day and started taking reports. Is it Bill Merrill? No, no, I, it's driving me crazy. I can't believe I can't remember his name. But uh, he, he wrote a book, uh, and I have the book somewhere in here as well, um, where he documented different sightings and stuff. And one of the, I think it was one of the first times he went out to a scene, uh, he talks about encountering people who called him out there, and they had these Bigfoot creatures on the property, and, and they also had these UFO lights in the sky situation at the same time. And he just, throughout oh, his... Oh, J- is it a... Uh- uh james uh i mean nuts the guy's got like the sea city ranch or whatever no no it's um it's gonna drive me nuts and everybody everybody's listening to this right now like you're an idiot you know who (laughs) but (laughs) i hate that dude it drives me crazy it drives me nuts um but you know he he's done a very good job throughout don't worry his- dude i messed up a guy who's on the show so don't even worry about it yeah, i did that a couple of weeks ago for my my other show i i actually said a different name and it's, but 
he, this guy, he, he actually uh, documented throughout his career. He catalogs just people's encounters and, and, and just writing them out and stuff. And it's interesting when you, when you hear about these different experiences people have. Um, but, you know, D- Dr. Meldrum, with the Bigfoot and, and all that stuff, do you think that there is a situation where, like you mentioned about little people earlier stuff uh, and, and the hobbits, you, you hear about people talking about big, uh, Bigfoot and then the dog man kind of thing. Do you think there's any validity to that? Or do you think that it's more a mis- mistaken identity or what? Well, that, that's the way I, I lean, yes, the, the case of mistake. I, I did the one time I've done a, an interview in a production that it was uh, dealing with dog men is I, <clears throat> I, uh, uh, it was the, the down in the South in Louisiana, the Rougarou. And, uh, I was intrigued because I, you know, growing up, I was a fan of Johnny quest. And one of my favorite episodes besides the, the Yeti one was the, the loop guru up in, in Canada that where they were pretending there were werewolves that were chasing off the, the, the loggers. Anyway, I, so I, I agreed to do this on the condition that they allowed me to explore the possibility that because of the cultural overtones in the South, which have this influence from the old country of the Rougarou, uh, the werewolf notion, that to those, to those people who don't have any contact otherwise with, you know, Bigfoot-like encounters really in Europe, uh, per se, uh, in, in, at least in recent times, um, if they encounter a big, hairy, wild creature, to them it would be naturally, logically, a, a rougarou rather than a Sasquatch, and that we might be dealing with cases of, of misidentification. Now, this doesn't account for the pointy ears and long snout and a bushy tail that some report. But again, it's like, uh, you know, where's the, where's the corroborating evidence? Where are the footprints of some... Uh, gigantic bipedal canid um you know i have i have to line up my casts again <laughs> do, you, do you think that there are like could, could there be subspecies of bigfoot where you know you have the patty film where we saw that right but do you think that there could be other like you know in different regions of the country right. different shapes and sizes of bigfoot and maybe different types of bodies i don't think to the degree that there would be that kind of a, a mistake or confusion i mean i anytime you have a species that has a wide distribution and that takes it into uh, and, and it's fairly generalized in its ability to adapt to uh, varying habitats um like black bear i mean black bear extend from canada and alaska right on down to florida and you know florida alabama in the piney woods or something that a black bear from down there it would probably look different than a black bear from southeastern alaska uh in size and in, even in limb proportion and lankiness and so forth and uh or the sun bear in china yeah uh, well right yeah. and it has like you, a white crest yeah and all, and all those bears can uh breed right would a would a sasquatch and a yeti be able to breed like a Blake Griffin? I, I, think <laughs> I think a Yeti is distinctive enough that it's, uh, it's not a close relative. And so, you know, I mean, this is, this is one theme that in paleoanthropology, the human evolution, that we're discovering that there were instances of, of uh, Congress, of, uh, of gene flow or introgression of gene flow between those between Neanderthals and humans and Neanderthals and Denisovans and even possibly a third mystery hominid, which is probably Homo heidelbergensis, um, 
but uh, but those were limited. Though I, I wanted having, I hesitate even to bring those up sometimes because people grab them and run with that concept. And uh, there, there's a faction of Bigfoot enthusiasts that think that's how Bigfoot came about. That it's from the union of a pre-human and a human that's created a hybrid population, which itself is just nonsensical. It doesn't, uh, you know, it's not practical. Uh, way to to uh, um, come up with an origin story for a for a new species, but but uh, these these interactions, this gene flow between, say, just take Neanderthals for example, was very rare and very uh, very limited. So even though you know uh, European populations display about you know one to four percent of Neanderthal DNA by some calculations. Nevertheless, those two populations coexisted side by side in Europe for 40,000 years and yet remained distinct from one another. And the gene flow was only one direction. There's no evidence of modern Homo sapiens genes in the Neanderthal gene pool. How's that? You know, you can come up with kind of some scenarios about, you know, which way the genes were flowing and, and, and how this, uh, you know, how they were hooking up. I Every story is about people hooking up with earth chicks. Everybody wants to bang earth chicks, dude. The well, Nephilim, you know, we got the Archons, the, the yeah, Anunnaki, the Aliens, the Kardashians, Kim, Kim Kardashian, right? It's yeah. really unbelievable. Yeah, we, we say that we say that facetiously, but you know, for for a, the a, a scenario to explain this disproportionate flow in one direction. You know, you would expect the offspring to stay with the maternal partner, right? And so that means that you've got male Neanderthal genes uh, flowing to the human population, but not the other way. Well, why is it? Were, you know, were, were the Neanderthals less attractive to the Homo sapiens males? Or, you know, were, was it a case of a, a band of... Uh, <laughs> Very interesting. Out, out gathering and 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 being accosted by a say a hunting party of male Neanderthals that have been, you know, on the road for for quite a while. <laughs> you know, yeah, we chuckle, but it's interesting. Now there are some cases, there are some some examples of uh, hybridization where only one direction of gene flow produces a high, uh, excuse me, a viable hybrid. And and that could be in play as well, or it could just be because, given the rarity of these of these crosses, that that um, uh, you know the uh, the crosses in the other direction just never survived to pass on, or their their descendants never survived to pass on those genes in well, in that lineage of the few Neanderthals we've sampled. It, it could be like I was about to say, it could be like a liger. When the liger, when they have it, they can't. Don't they become infertile? Actually, the ligers. That's one case where it's interesting that. As diverse as tigers and lions are in morphology and in distribution, they do produce viable offspring that, that are fertile. So there, we actually here in Idaho, we were kind of infamous for it. Liger Town was a big uh, debacle where there was some some uh, you know unscrupulous. Uh, uh, Liger Town, that's a show on. <laughs> yeah. huh? There you go. Anyway, Next. Hey, the the, the, the ligers. The ligers were actually getting out of these deplorable pens and oh. they discovered they'd been going back and forth for months. They had well-trodden paths where they were going up and circling right around the, the elementary school playground. 
<laughs> Fuck. Uh, yeah. We had uh, a, a much more scandalous uh, lawsuit uh, here in, in the in Idaho. Something liger time. Yeah, you're, you're thinking of mules though. Mules are are infertile, and they're a mix between a donkey and a and a pony, or a donkey and a small horse. So they're they're an infertile subspecies. But like you know, going back to some of your other questions, like obviously, uh, like a chupacabra is is a misidentified dog, um, and like dog man, I think I'm kind of with Dr. Meldrum here is a misidentified Sasquatch um, or Bigfoot. And, you know, people have stated seeing um, Sasquatch or Bigfoot and it doesn't run away all the time on its hind legs. Like in the Patterson-Gimlin film, it was walking fast, but some have reported it to go on all fours and scramble up a cliffside or, you know, go up an inclination really fast on all fours that people just can't do like humans don't have the agility, the muscle memory, what have you that supposedly these could have. Um, so some people see this type of behavior and they go, Oh, that was a dog man, you know, because it was on all fours and you know, they get that sort of haunted experience of a werewolf type thing, but it happened so quick to them. It wasn't a dog that they saw. It was much larger, looked like a human, like, you know, a more ape-like form. And they, they, their mind filled in that gap with a dogman sighting, you know, from seeing horror movies or something like that. Um, and, you know, we talked about Neanderthal being, we, we have fossil record of it existing. We have skulls, body parts, what have you, kind of like Gigantopithecus or uh, the Australopithecus, which people say may be what the relic cousin to some of these uh, Sasquatch or or Yaren type beings we're seeing around the world. Um, and we know that the Neanderthal died off, but we don't know because there's even people saying today in Russia that they have had Olmasty sightings. And the Olmasty is very commonly attributed to being something Sas- uh, Sasquatch, but um, Neanderthal-like, being shorter in stature, some of them, more stocky, covered in head-to-toe and fur, but having a more like Eastern European um, Neanderthal-type looking face, like a, a, a very you know, broad human looking face, but covered in fur. And then there's hunters in North America who've said, you know, I had this, this thing in my scope that looked like a Bigfoot, what people are describing as Bigfoot. And I didn't shoot because it looked so human-like. Its face looks so human-like. And basically what I'm saying is like, there's, descriptions of Sasquatch or things that are Sasquatch like, and there's possibilities um, if we don't use too much imagination and just use what we do have rooted in science uh, that some of these things may still survive, have survived alongside us, but live in deep wilderness and, you know, are, are scarcely seen. They're in very small numbers you know, Dr. Meldrum says 300 possibly in Idaho State rainforests, right? Uh, 
Um, that's a small number. It's scant compared to 30,000 years ago where um, apparently uh, Homo florensius still existed in, in you know, island regions around Java and stuff and Indonesia. And we're saying humans definitely existed in Indonesia at that time too. Um, and people still say the orange pendek exists. Orang pendek, sorry, not orange pendek. But uh, you know what I'm saying. What I'm alluding to here is there's connections with sightings and stuff that we have in the record. And you don't have to use too much imagination to kind of try and prove that maybe these things haven't gone extinct. Is it uh, possible that... You know, this is obviously a conspiracy show, and we love talking about all those subjects, including Bigfoot. Uh, I always say it's like the more you learn, the more it unlocks different levels of consciousness and understanding. Is it possible that if you don't have any understanding of what Bigfoot is, uh, that you can't really be able to grasp what you're seeing? It's almost what they said about, like, like native when the Europeans came, they never, they never seen a boat like that. So they couldn't understand what they were looking at. Is that a possibility? You know, you know, I, there's different genres of conspiracies. The more you uh, study one, the more you start to see it everywhere. And you're like, Whoa, I see that. I see that. I see that. But if I, I'm never studying any kind of anything Bigfoot other than uh, uh snap into a Slim Jim commercial. Right. <laughs> I, I, I don't, would I know anything about, would I even be able to see, know what I'm looking at? Uh, that's what I'm trying to say. I, I think oh. it's, I, I think the non-scientific thing right here, it, uh, I actually liken to what you just said to what we've been seeing all year with the UFO stuff. Uh, before, let's just say before 2017, the general thought was that UFOs light in the sky, it's misidentification, it's not real. And then slowly we started seeing, you know, the Bob Lazars coming out and things like that into this year in the middle of the pandemic, the government says we they they have a craft that didn't originate from Earth. And everybody's just like, Yeah, but how about COVID nineteen? And it's like uh, it, but I, I think the, the the gradual exposure to the general public with just the idea of UFOs and what's been going on there stuff, I think people have been able to kind of grasp it more and just be like, kind of take it in, like, okay, it's real. There, there's things that that they're saying is real out there. Uh, I think it might be similar to the Bigfoot, but that's like I said, the truck driver Tony with the podcast. So <laughs> who knows? No, I, I'm with you on that one as far as like the simple uh, conspiracy. You know, is that that if we looked at UFOs, for example, right, people have been talking about them existing and black budget programs and the government knowing and the military knowing, but they're just keeping all the information suppressed. It's been going on, you know, forever. And now we're starting to get this disclosure, you know, small leaks that are coming from the military, which is crazy. It's astounding, right? But um, what what the major theme has been in terms of that conspiracy and the cover-up specifically has always been money. It's always been uh, control of clandestine, exotic, free energy type technology that is not fossil fuels, right? And we're looking at challenging big money, 
with this type of disclosure, right? Like basically reinventing energy on the planet because people have been saying for years, you know, I, I've made documentaries on UFOs too. Um, you know, I made doc, a documentary on alien abduction. I believe there's credibility, you know? I think that this is a real thing happening around the world. We're not alone in the universe. But when it comes to money, that is the greatest conspiracy. That is always the greatest control of information. If you control the money, you control the truth. And um, I think with, like I said before, an easy conspiracy to associate the cover-up of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, other wild men sightings is money. It's industry that could be challenged by the protection of this species if this was said to exist in certain rainforests, you're not logging that anymore. You're not building homes there anymore. You're not, you know, you're basically shutting down that economy. And uh, the Tasmanian tiger is a perfect example of why that, that conspiracy could be very true, why they're not disclosing that this cryptid, uh, no, not cryptid, this, this actual existing marsupial in, in Australia's history can't be disclosed by the government. So I, I think it could just be that simple a conspiracy. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, just people with bad cameras and yada, yada, yada. So Dr. Meldrum, based off of that, do you think that, uh, it, so, I mean, really in the Bigfoot community, you're the most famous doctor that pursuing the thought of Bigfoot and uh, if you somehow had a way where like you had possession of a body, whether it was live or dead, do you think, have you ever thought about that? Where do you think you would even be allowed to come out and talk about that publicly? Or do you think that you'd be getting a visit from some kind of government p- person to tell you hush hush on that? Well, I, you know, I, whenever I hear, hear these stories about you know, unmarked black helicopters and, people showing up at, at uh, investigators' doorsteps and and demanding their files or their evidence or this or that and the other. I've I've not experienced that. This, <laughs> I had a good laugh one time. We, we were speaking on a panel at a conference, and this subject came up. And so people were starting to um, share their own experiences where such things had. And uh, and I, uh, you know, I, I made the point that, this has never happened to me. And then I said, Oh, enough of this already. You know, I guess it's, it's time for me to come clean. I am a government agent assigned <laughs> to dispel or to dispense disinformation. <laughs> and so got a good laugh, a brief laugh from, from part of the audience. But, but uh, you know, if, if, if that were the case, I mean, if there is a, 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 a centralized organized effort to suppress information, um, either I'm doing a great job of barking up the wrong tree and uh, obfuscating the subject matter. So they're letting me just, <laughs> they're giving me lots of rope to hang myself. Or why would, why would they not come after and, uh, and, and make my, um, you know, my um, harassment, the harassment that I take and so forth from my colleagues and so forth, such that, that I would abandon all the evidence in my lab and just uh, start with a fresh slate. So I, that's why I have a hard time, you know, with, with these sorts of stories. I just don't see where, where I would have immunity 
You know, I, I can't believe some say, oh, well, it's because you're so widely known. You're so popular. They wouldn't dare touch you. It would draw too much attention to them. Well, that seems <laughs> kind of counterproductive to their objective of, uh, of uh, suppressing and, and uh, deflecting attention to the subject matter. If, if I'm out there on, on every documentary and every conference speaking about it and, and legitimizing it and lending credibility to it so that it can't just be dismissed as a bunch of yahoos out there, you know, chasing a, a lark. The funny thing about any kind of passion in this alternative medium, whatever your passion is, whether it's, uh, you know, deep stay, a call, Bigfoot, there's this sense outside that you're just making so much money out there and it's just like <laughs> mad stacks and it's, it's, it's raining money left and right. You're just, and it's just like people have no clue how hard you have to work just to get a little money in this, in this industry for a passion that you, you want to do. Like people pick passions all the time. I, I enjoy uh, building stuff. So I'm going to build a house. That's a passion. And nobody has a problem with someone wanting to make a dollar off that. You know, I'm having talks with my friends on other projects. And I, like I'm 48 years old, man. The days of doing stuff for just the lot. I like, I, I have two kids, man. I like, I, my dad says long time. I never hate a guy for making a buck if it's an honest. It's an honest day's work, yeah, exactly. man. I don't. No, these people, this like they think this stuff is like lucrative, and they're it's <laughs> like they're just showing up with wheelbarrows at the big, Bigfoot conventions and right. just like dumping it on you, and you have to you have to pay people to count it. That's how much it's, it doesn't even make any sense. Um, it's just a lot of player hating going out there for right. no, and it, it yeah. usually comes from the people who unfortunately can't generate the following that some people have. And trust me, man, I've been on both sides of it. You know, this show has uh, a blessing to have a following. I'm very lucky to have the swarm. Uh, I, every day I'd pinch myself because there was a long time that I didn't have that. And I understand what it's like not to have it. You're bang your head against the wall. And I just tell people, just keep grinding, figure out another angle. It will, it will come if it's meant to be. Um, no, but there's player straight, hating. No, straight player hater. That, we already mentioned him. That David Pilates guy. He's over there talking about missing people. Four hundred one, trying to help out. He mentioned that Bigfoot might be in it. Oh, discredited. Fuck him. Fuck his work on finding kids. On all. Nope. Yeah. You, you, look him uh, up. Look him up. I and mean, all he says is a Bigfoot theorist. I mean, he is a Bigfoot theorist, and he he is a UFO theorist too, right? Um, I wouldn't discount all of his work because of. You know, we wouldn't, but some people would. Some we don't discount instantly. anything here. We're yeah, all yeah. Here. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I mean, like, <laughs> sorry, I forgot who I was sitting here with. <laughs> but uh, no, it's just like he is trying to find people. It's amazing to me that people uh, will will look at his reports. Like, I really like that one about the FBI agent that was trying to find uh, this kid. This couple went to this like park, this national park, and there all these families were having like a barbecue or something. And the kids stepped into the perimeter of this forest with all these other kids. Uh, and from that moment, the kid stepped in the forest, went missing. David Politis said, you know, he investigated that whole thing and that there was a couple the day of the child going missing at the park um, saying that they saw 
and heard a scream from a child. And then they saw like a, a Bigfoot like being running along this like ridge line uh, above them with like a kid with a yellow shirt over his shoulder or something like that. And like, I, I, I like the story. I, I think we do have evidence grounded in reality with uh, chimpanzees stealing other chimpanzee tribes, uh, children, you know, like baby apes and eating them, they cannibalize them and such. So, I mean, does Bigfoot eat, uh, humans lower, you know, young of human who knows, I don't know. Um, but it's possible. And I mean, it's, it's like, we, we get all this information out there that they're like omnivores. So they must eat meat. They must eat, you know, vegetation, berries and stuff like black bears do in the forest. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it just, I, I think it's possible that like some of the stuff David Polides talks about is, is true in his, his, uh, all the stories that he's published, uh, that are regarding Sasquatch or Bigfoot sightings. Right. I, I, I didn't mean, I hope my comments earlier weren't uh, misconstrued to discount that possibility because it is a very real one. Uh, as soon as you started talking about the chimps eating other, other young chimps, I was just waiting for the next line, which is there are documented accounts of chimps snatching human infants, absconding with them, dispatching and consuming them. And there was a big rash during uh, right at the, the, the peak of a, a difficult drought period in Uganda where this occurred repeatedly. And I, I actually heard some firsthand accounts of some people that were working with the park services over there and had interaction with uh, some of these incidents. And then if you stop for just a minute and reflect what's one of the central themes in in uh, the um, uh, Pacific and Intermountain Western uh, tribal traditions. The Tsonaqua is famous for snatching little children and pitching them into the basket on her back and taking them home and eating them for dinner. And so, and that, that, that uh, uh, variations of that theme extend all the way down through the Intermountain West. And there's even petroglyphs of, uh, 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 attributed to the Anasazi that show a figure with a little head, big broad shoulders, and the two hands lifted in the air, just like the Tsonaqua is often depicted in the in the uh, tribal um, totem poles and so forth. So, you know, at one point when those stories were shared, it was like a just so story. Oh, uh, you know, it's just it's just a a boogeyman story to keep children in line. But then all of a sudden we have these accounts of actual apes abducting and, and feeding on human infants. And suddenly a just so story is actually natural behavior for an ape, for a great ape. Yeah. And I mean, like even further to that, uh, if we're going to go back in the sort of Bigfoot Sasquatch lore and history uh, in North America, you have a very famous Canadian, uh, Albert Ostman, who came forward. He lived between 1893 and 1975 and he's famous for saying, when I was a child, I was picked up by a Sasquatch and it ran me into the forest and he was missing for days. And apparently it took care of him. Uh, maybe it got second thoughts about eating his ass. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> apparently he was, he was 
like returned and, uh, and, and, you know, lived to tell the story of how he was abducted by a Sasquatch. So, um, and, and he's just one of literally many people that have also reported being abducted by a Sasquatch, believe it or not, as children. So, uh, is it possible missing children have gone missing across North America in these huge, you know, national parks like Yellowstone in North Carolina, we have massive forested areas that wilderness and, and Sasquatch reports there. I mean, it's anybody's guess. Yeah. You met, you mentioned about North Carolina, just what last year we had that report of the kid who went missing for what I think it was like three days. And then after three days he, he was found and he said he was taken care of by a bear for three days. And so it, it's just yeah. like, you know, I, I, really a bear. I mean, maybe the doc would be able to help me out this more, but have you ever heard of a, a wild bear taking care of a kid for three days? You know, <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense to me. Not, not, uh, not likely, but yeah, it could, could have been a case of misidentification, but yeah. And there have been other, other stories of where uh, lost children have uh, suddenly shown up at the uh, base camp and, and had described the big hairy man or the monkey that, that took care of them and, and, and showed them how to get back, you know? So there are, you know, there are stories like that, that, uh, that, you know, that's not beyond the realm of, of possibility. And again, you turn to <clears throat> analogs amongst the great apes, at least, uh, there was the case where the kid fell over the railing into the, into the ape enclosure. And it was a female gorilla that, uh, he, he was knocked senseless and the female gorilla, cradled him, kept the others at bay, and then uh, took him up to the, the doorway into the enclosure where the uh, staff were waiting, and she just laid him down and moved away, and they got him. So, you know, there are cases like that that, uh, again, they, they kind of provide a framework for a rather uh, natural explanation for a, a, a shared behavior of another, another large primate. Are there, um, are there, you know, we did an episode with Tony before the Bigfoot Wars of 1855. Um, are there any known, like, is Bigfoot enemies with anybody? Is there like a war? Uh, the war of 1855. Is there any, are there any other stories that are kind of along the lines of that, that you, you find very interesting? That's that's news to me. I've not heard of the War of eighteen fifty five. You've so never this, heard of the big wars of eighteen fifty five. I've never Oklahoma heard of this City? either. I've heard of the oh, war on. in Australia between the emus and uh, the Aussies, and apparently the emus won. That's actually historical fact. Uh, they got machine guns out and mowed down emus in the outback because there was an overpopulation of them, and the emus attacked them and stuff. It was crazy. Oh. This is actually documented. Yeah, like the big ostrich-like bird. But I've never heard of a Sasquatch war. Sorry, sheep horses. They look like sheep horses. It was. I think you guys heard of the story. It's not war like Bigfoot on Bigfoot war. It's Bigfoot with human war, where they were abducting uh, people, and so these natives, along with uh, actual, I guess it was American soldiers. It's been a while since I looked at the story. But some giants too, right? Well, yeah, so I think the, 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 the natives actually, one of the tribes of the natives were generally really big, uh, giant-like. But the story is that they went into the wilderness 
to look for these these bigfoot i think came across like three or four of them and they they went at it with them uh, 1855, and one of the uh, soldiers that led that charge, he actually is a historical figure. I can't think of his name. Speaking of th- can't thinking of names, Stan Gordon. That's yeah, who I was trying to yeah. remember earlier. Stan Gordon. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's that that war of 1855 is something that happened in Oklahoma. Um, but I, I find it interesting that uh, there's also other accounts, and Stan, not not like other like war kind of thing, but that we have a lot of, you know, stories that happen to have like people, multiple people in cabins and these things coming and harassing and stuff. So I wouldn't say it was a war, but they, they definitely do, you know, have a tendency to, to bother people. Uh, and I don't know if that's because of, you know, they're in their area stuff. I mean, they, they seem to be very highly intelligent, you know? And so typically speaking, I think that's one of the reasons why we don't detect them as much as we would like to, because they're, they're pretty smart and rare. Uh, but uh, I, I think that's kind of more of, um, what we would see more typically is that these things sometimes, I think it was in what Washington state, I think it was back in the, the 1900s, something the, the guys were mining for gold and they had their camp kind of taken yeah. over. The Ape Canyon incident, the Mount yeah. St. Helens. Yeah. And then see in that instance, the miners were the instigators of the violence. They shot at the Sasquatch on a couple of occasions and apparently one uh, tumbled over the precipice into the, into the head of the canyon and it was following that aggression that their cabin was assailed by uh by the uh apes presumably of course they never actually saw them as my best of my understanding of the of the account but uh attributed to these apes they had encountered similar they, story to uh yeah. the sierra sounds with um what's his name uh ron moorhead ron yeah. moorhead uh, and Barry, uh, basically they said they were in a camp in the Sierras of Northern California and they, you know, started getting harassed at night and during like twilight by Sasquatch multiple. And, you know, if you listen to the Sierra sounds, which are pretty crazy sounds, um, you know, uh, it seems like the sounds might not have been made by a human being people have uh done um voice print analysis and stuff like that and seen that it has vocalizations that seem to be out of the octave range of a human lung like something that might be of a greater lung capacity um but yeah that's another case where they were sitting inside of this sort of makeshift shed thing and hiding and had their guns and stuff ready because they were freaked out from the, this harassment that was going on just on the perimeter of their camp with these supposed beings. They have the recordings. They don't have any pictures or video. Who knows? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But, um, you know, to go back and talk about the sort of abduction thing again, um, you know, you look at, the Patterson Gimlin film and you see like this basically lady squatch, right? She's got some big massive cans on her uh, covered in fur and Patty, you know, they call her Patty. So maybe the, do you think she had some cubs, cubs on her at the moment? Who knows? Who knows, man? I mean, if there's going to be breastfeeding, those some big knockers. Those were yeah. some massive knocks, right? So I'm down XG. She was like massive. <laughs> she, she was like the. She was like a Kardashian knocks, man in the forest. 
So <laughs> we'll never know, right? Maybe they're maybe these female Sasquatch are the more you know less prone to eat their children that they steal. Who knows? I hear they get mad if you call them massive knocks, though. They get really angry and they'll eat. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Uh, last thing, uh, and then I, one more. I just want to get in your movie real quick. But last, uh, is there like equipment specific to? trying to find uh bigfoot is there any like you know ghost hunting they have all their stuff is there stuff for bigfoot where there's some kind of certain type of um camera equipment stuff like that and and the follow-up on that have you guys gone out bigfoot hunting have you ever gone deep into the forest looking doing a or whatever you think that they uh they they just see you pull them you know? Yeah, the the, uh, the toolkit uh, usually includes things like trail cameras, uh, night vision, thermal image in, in uh, binoculars or monoculars or a must, really, cameras. And, uh, of course, uh, 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 recording equipment for, for vocalizations like the case that he described in this of the Sierra sounds. And, um, you know, not that they've proved... Uh, uh, extremely successful. There have been some interesting titillating uh, bits and pieces of evidence, uh, questionable photos and, and recordings of various vocalizations and so forth. They've collected hair samples that defy attribution to other common forms of wildlife. Um, aerial survey with drones now is another uh, avenue. You know, the, the limiting factor there is the airtime. Uh, most of the Drones that are commercially available now, uh, you know, can only be up for about 18 minutes total of their battery life and um, toyed with the idea of using lighter than airships. But again, even there, it's, it's problematic. There is no silver bullet. You know, flying one of these blimps is, is a bit of a challenge, and especially in, in mountainous terrain and at night. Um, it's, uh, and, and there, your, your uh, payload is a limiting factor, and so battery life yeah it's you run out of batteries fast and so um i think the next step will be as uh, their the the battery uh capacity of some of these multi-copter drones is improving and their uh time aloft is much much better i mean i've heard of some models that can go up for you know nearly an hour um and the uh the penetrance the Ability of the thermal cameras to, to penetrate the thick forest canopy because that's a, a problem. You know, this, it works great out in the desert when you're looking for Al Qaeda or the Taliban, but in a <laughs> dense forest, you know, penetrating that canopy is, is problematic. And so, um, so that's a factor. The other direction I think where research will be going is um, the uh, methodologies uh, involving what's called eDNA, environmental. DNA, where they can take a soil sample, like from a cave, or a water sample from a from a pond, and using um, this shotgun approach of of, uh, of probes, can can identify all the fragments of DNA that have been contributed from skin cells and body fluids and so forth. Um, there was a, a headline grabbing study just recently completed, where they use these techniques in Loch Ness. And they oh. identified an unknown eel. 
and thought that there might be some type of giant eel that, that is behind the legends of the Loch Ness Monster. But this was determined by sampling the water in the, in the uh, uh, various uh, depths in the, throughout the lake and over a couple of years doing extensive, extensive DNA. So it's a very pricey, given the manpower and the, and the, and the materiel, it's a, a pricey undertaking. It's not something that most production companies are just going to undertake, you know. Uh, or I think people who are passionate, making all that Bigfoot dollars. You know, don't you guys find it frustrating, though, where our best like arguably the best footage we have is the Patterson given film back in the 60s. And then audio wise, you know, the Sierra sounds that was done in what early 70s. It's, it's like of all the equipment we have today, that's still like home run stuff from back then. It's just like Johnny has that. Tony sent me that sound. Can we hear that sound real quick, Johnny? Yeah. And that, as he's gearing that up. Oh, here we go. For night view. Those are wood knocks. Bash in the trees. Possibly rocks. Off in the distance. That's like the uh, drunken samurai. When did this take place, Tony? Yeah, so I mean, you, you hear that that weird chattering and stuff, and that's why they talk a lot about the chattering and stuff because it sounds like they have this their own intelligent language that they communicate with, and Ron Moorhead was mimicking it 
there. And that's why, you, like, when you heard a clear, louder vocalization, that was Ron mimicking back to them. But it, it's very fascinating. And like I said earlier, stuff, you know, clearly these things are highly intelligent. Now, how intelligent are they? They seem to have their own way of communicating verbally to each other. Um, I wanted to add, I know you wanted to wrap things up. I want to ask the doc one more thing, if it's okay. No, I, I saw years ago, I would say 2016, 2015, there's a video on YouTube of, of a bonobo that learned how to light a fire with uh, watching YouTube videos. And he made his own food and everything. Do you think that Bigfoot could start its own fires and stuff? Because there's, I know there's... I thought you were going to say YouTube channel. What was that? I thought you were going to say Bigfoot could start its own YouTube channel. <laughs> but like, I mean, I... I I, uh, you know, I hear about the Native Americans talking about back in, you know, the, the lore and stuff is that they at one time did use fire and stuff. Do you think that's something that they could, you know, learn to do or do now? I, I doubt it. I uh, honestly, I mean, uh, most homo sapiens would be incapable of uh, creating fire, even watching someone do it. Um, I and, and the example that you gave, uh, I mean, he, he didn't just initiate this the, the bonobo on it on his own but he he was you know with his keeper was taken out watched the keeper imitated the keeper you know he would collect things but then she hands him the match and the striker so unless a bigfoot has a box of uh, box of uh, matches uh, you know up under his armpit or something i don't know uh, uh well I, you know so th- i i just wanted to say that i you know i have to qualify people it doesn't take uh, – I mean, language has probably been around for a long time, and, and the kinds of communication that you're, you're hearing is not so far down that uh, – or, or, or up the spectrum from uh, grade ape – the repertoire of grade ape vocalizations and modern human speech. So um, we know that chimps can master um, – can master um, – uh, uh, you know, sign language and symbolic language, right? They don't have the um, they don't have the hardwiring for the motor control for articulate speech, and even apes, uh, chimps that have been raised in a human household, never learn more uh, uh, utterances than just the simple mama, papa kinds of expressions. Um, so. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't imbue the Sasquatch with excessive intelligence, certainly not human-like intelligence. But even if they have a brain the size of a chimpanzee or gorilla or an early hominin, you know, a few tens of cc's bigger than a chimp or gorilla, they're still a lot smarter than the average bear and, and the things that they might be capable of the, in the woods. And yes, I for Sasquatch. I've spent up to like a month at a time in the woods uh, on numerous occasions, so... Yeah, you you had an encounter in uh, you talk about in Sasquatch Legend Meets Science where you're hiking with your brother, right? And you felt like two were flanking your tent, kind of running at you guys was, in the fog. Was with my brother, that was that was the first month long uh, uh, field operation that we undertook in Northern California. I was with okay. a, a group, and 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 the our our guide, our local local uh, contact. Uh, and I went off separate from the uh, the remainder of the group for a couple of days um, to go to some off trail lakes where we were looking for footprints and and we had we had an encounter which I can only attribute to 
Sasquatch. I mean, it left 16 inch impressions in the grass and in the mud. Um, it brushed against our tent. It opened up backpacks, opened up clasps and, uh, and rifled through the backpacks and so forth. So it was, yeah, read, read the introduction to the book. It's an interesting story. And it's audio. I was about to say that audio we just saw, that was a mating call, right? Uh, say, or, or you think it was, you knew it was communicating with a twinge. Did you feel a twinge or something? Yeah, definitely. I did. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> this guy's getting a boner. I, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what, what, uh, what the, uh, the uh, meaning, the content was. There's actually someone, Scott Nelson, a cryptolinguist, who claims that he can transliterate, that, that it's a form of pidgin English, and uh, which I, I, I honestly just cannot wrap my head around how that would come about. I think he's hearing what they call homonyms that, uh, you know, uh, similar sounds because he, 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 he told me when he played these sounds for a Japanese cryptolinguist colleague of his, the Japanese cryptolinguist heard Japanese equivalents. So they, they picked these up on the way across the samurai appearing the across the bridge before there were any humans in Japan, but, (laughs) but uh, no, I mean, I think that's, you know, we, we hear things that are familiar to us. So here in Idaho, the Shoshone tell me that they speak Shoshone. Well, maybe when they hear vocalizations like that, they pick up on the Shoshone uh, similarities uh, and uh, this thing, things that sound like Shoshone, but have nothing to do with it whatsoever. Yeah. And just to go back to, that vocalization stuff that, you know, is super famous, the Sierra sounds, um, you know, Dr. Meldrum, it's too bad you guys couldn't have David Ellis on this show with you because Dr. Meldrum and I worked with him on this documentary, Sasquatch Among Wild Men. And he has, like, if we think of Dr. Meldrum in terms of having the best, you know, uh, collection of footprint casts and comparisons from all around the world and, you know, basically all the trace evidence from sightings across the world, really. Um, David Ellis is like the fountain of voice and uh, interaction recordings from Sasquatch, apparently. So um, I interviewed him in my documentary and he gave me a couple examples of interactions that he had in the wild when him and his group, the Olympic project went out into the Olympic national forest in uh, outside of, well, in Washington state. And they basically took with them a a spy on, which is like, you know, those little dish things you can hook up your, your earphones to, and you can hear through a wall and stuff like that. Um, Well, he was employing this in the field to record sound that's being you know, amplified in the great distance in the forest. And they were having interactions deep in the forest with him and this uh, female uh, investigator that was out there. And they were getting lots of the same sort of audio evidence that you hear in the Sierra sounds. We hear at the starting of the Sierra sounds, we hear wood knocks, which are really often reported in Sasquatch and Bigfoot encounters where people, hikers, hunters, campers are deep in the wilderness and they start to hear when they get to a certain area in the forest, 
wood knocks off in the distance. And it sounds like somebody's basically either taking another big hard piece of wood or a rock and just banging the trunk of a tree. And it sounds really aggressive. It's kind of like a very primitive way of saying, you're in my territory now, you know, don't come any closer. And it's an aggressive thing, right? So um, the Sierra Sound seems to exhibit behavior like that. um, And that is a sign of a primate possibly using a tool. Um, And, you know, Kanzi, you were talking about before, that's the famous bonobo who uh, has learned hundreds of symbols that represent words. And she's uh, able to communicate full sentences and ideas to her uh, hosts. And, you know, she even, like you said earlier, Tony, can cook her own meal. They give her a skillet. She lights the fire um, and she cooks like eggs and vegetables or something. And then she knows even to take a bottle of water and pour it out and put out the fire because they've trained her. This is dangerous if the fire spreads in your living area, you could get hurt, right? So primates do have the intelligence to understand thoughts. They even have, you know, that chimpanzee that um, I can't remember the documentary, but it's about a chimp that was raised in the 70s with humans and uh, it communicated in sign language that it understood the notion of death. It is sleeping, you know, going to an internal sleep and not coming back. So, I mean, if we do think that Sasquatch or something like it exists in deep wilderness around the world, it's perfectly, uh, you know, plausible that it is communicating with us through things like wood knocks, howls, um, sort of woofs, uh, barks, like it, it may sound ridiculous, but David Ellis has large amounts of recordings that he has from all across the United States that exhibit that wood knocks, barks, woofs, um, but they don't sound like they're coming from a dog. And he's comparing all of these sounds to uh, the McNally, uh, you know, library of uh known environmental species that live across North America, like coyotes and wolves and all, all that stuff. And it just doesn't match the, the, the voice print. It doesn't match the, well, not voice, but it doesn't match the, uh, the spectral graph and stuff when they're listening to it. Uh, and it, it just sounds like something again, that has like a deeper lung capacity, hence a larger, uh, a larger being, you know. Very what, interesting. Uh, sorry, what's the thought about the samurai talk? Is that is that them attempting to reproduce human language? Is that what the thought is with that? I've just heard, like I was joking around before, but I, I heard that, uh, you know, it's a lot of people, like Dr. Meldrum said, that when they showed this to vocalists in Japan, they said, well, that sounds like, it sounds like a a Japanese sort of phonetic, you know, it sounds similar to what a Japanese guy could say, but it's just gibberish, right? It's like, it's like, 
you know, so I've heard people make fun of it and say it's the drunken samurai in the forest or something. Right, but what, what I mean is, to me, it sounds like, you know, you know, if you imitate another language that you don't know, it sounds like someone imitating a language that they've they can't speak you know what i mean and 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 if if these sasquatch had encountered humans before and heard them speak you know possibly stalking them that kind of thing is that is that a thought at all possible it's possible yeah i i think it uh you know if if you if you hear uh chimpanzees that are probably the most boisterous of the great apes Mm -hmm. uh, you know you get a, a bunch of chimps going off on a on a tilt and uh you know you hear some some uh diverse kinds of uh calls and hoots and pants and and uh, chatter and teeth clacking and so forth um so if you know the one of the one of the theories about human vocalization is that it required us to adopt an upright posture which brought the larynx down lower and then elongated the pharynx which allows for more modulation of of sounds and creation of vowels um, in uh, in the human vocal tract. Well, maybe and this is just another possibility. You know, if you build upon the ability of great apes to um, to uh, um, uh, communicate, you know, non vocally, uh, and and imbue a Sasquatch with a vocal tract. And with some brain enlargement, you know, some some uh, development of the speech centers of the brain, so that they could create an, a simple articulate sort of a communication. You know, like I said, there there are lots of intermediate steps between chimpanzee talk, chatter, and human talk. And you know, what I'm hearing on the, on these, you know, if there is any merit to this Sierra sounds. You know, it's somewhere in that intermediate space, but there's lots of different uh, gradations of of ability. Um, and and that's I love this, dude. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, so as we wrap it up here, one last give a, tell our listeners uh, what makes your film so special, and that if they love Bigfoot films or cryptid films, what are they going to love about this film? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to oversell it, but it's, it's just uh, Dr. Meldrum's explained it in the past to other podcasts and stuff we've been on. It's just a matter of fact delivery of the Sasquatch and, uh, relic sort of hominid theory. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not trying to season it up with a bunch of flash and, and make it like a, uh, finding Bigfoot episode, which is mostly about the characters. It's about the people that are going out there and trying to find Bigfoot. It's not necessarily about uh, the the cryptid itself. This is really all of the facts we can talk about in relation to a international progeny of these species existing, and um, and people's accounts and and the history of it. And yeah, we just. Um, you know, we've got lots of different angles. We have the Olympic project that comes in. I talked about David Ellis and his library of recordings. We've got Dr. Meldrum back who's talking about, you know, the footprints of the, the pathology in the footprints from all of the different sightings of different wild men from around the world. We're talking Russia, China, uh, Eastern Europe, 
um, you know, even places like Iraq. And uh, we compare uh, sort of chimpanzee behavior to um, what people have seen in, in Iraq, uh, sort of a primate showing its teeth in chimp that the chimpanzee smile means I'm going to bite you or I'm afraid. It's an aggressive thing. It's not actually a real smile. Um, we, t- we talk about a whole bunch. And, we, and then we just talk about ancient cultures that are reported these things, right? So it's a different perspective than most documentaries that are out there. And uh, if people want to check it out, um, I'm so happy to get feedback. Tony, I'd love to get your feedback on the doc. I can send you a link for it. Um, it's available for other folks to check out on Amazon Prime. Uh, you know, you can check it out on iTunes, Google Play, uh, and it's on, I think, Spectrum, Fios, uh, Cox, and uh, Dish Network, too, if people want to sort of rent it on demand. So thanks awesome. for having, thanks for having us on. Great show, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, Doctor, thanks for coming on again. I'm sure you'll be back soon. We'll, we'll definitely do it. Love to talk Bigfoot. Thank you guys all for coming on. I really do appreciate yeah. it. And uh, if you real quick, Tony, you want to say well, where they can find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me at the Confessionals Podcast. Uh, we talk all things paranormal, Bigfoot, cryptids, whatever. Uh, people coming on the show and sharing their experiences with these things. Uh, and also, I started another podcast earlier this year called Hammer Lane Legends. Uh, me and my dad, every Sunday, we record interviews with other people that are in the transportation industry because me and my dad are truck drivers. And uh, we talk about wild, crazy experiences from the road. And uh, people seem to really like it. And the show's been growing. So uh, go ahead and check that out as well. It's great. Darcy, you want to tell them where they can find you? Sure. Um, I'm just Darcy Weir on social media like Facebook and Instagram. Uh, they can check out some of my older documentaries that I've made at www.occultjourneys.com. Uh, made one on with Travis Walton, Stanton Friedman, and uh, you know covered the whole sort of abduction uh, expose there. Um, and did some stuff with Jaime Maussan, uh, and I've got a couple of different documentaries coming out uh, early next year that touch on the UFO subject. So, yeah, thanks for having me on the show again, and uh, always down to chat about this type of stuff. Doctor? I was just going to put a plug in for my book. Uh, if you like Darcy's documentary, you'll definitely want to follow up with uh, my book, which is your basic Sasquatch 101. It's Sasquatch Legend Meets Science. You can get it on Amazon.com or Paradise K, Parakay.com. Love it. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure, and we'll do it again soon. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Swarm, for listening. We love you very much. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hat, Tim foil hat.